Carol and I were church planting in Delaware, we had the exciting privilege of competing with beaches all up and down the coast and across the water. And uh, it, was, it was a real thing, competing with the beach. As a matter of fact, on one Sunday after the family was missing, the mom had a conversation with Carol, and uh, she explained that last Sunday at breakfast we had a family vote. And she said we had presented to the whole family, what would you like to do today? Would you like to go to church, or would you like to go to the beach? Church lost. But we were so excited because we found out that their elementary age daughter had voted for church. <laughs> uh, along the way, we, we fell in love with these people, um, their integrity. Um, they just told us the way it was. And um, they, they had not let, yet learned that skill set that established church people have of how to cover up for when they miss the Sunday. They just told us the truth. And, and it's not that church people would lie to us. They would never do that. But, but they did things like say, um, well, we, we had this family thing and we just couldn't get out of it. Yeah, I know. Some of you have used it. Trust me. This happens more than you think. Um, but anyway, that's, that was our experience. Now, I have to admit this morning that I love church. I love going to church, and it's not just because I'm a pastor, but I actually love being here. And when I'm not here, I miss being here because I feel like I'm missing out on something. Because all the good stuff always happens when you're not here, or it seems that way. And when we're away, I get excited about the opportunity that we have to check out somebody else's church. And uh, we've done that up and down the East Coast, um, looked at different churches, and uh, we have discovered that with minimal effort... In those churches, you can start a conversation that sounds just like the conversations we have here. Now, the names will be changed and the locations, but people have the exact same concerns and interests that we have. Now, there is a distraction, though, in that uh, because uh, you have to get beyond the, oh, you're on vacation from Pennsylvania. And then there's that surprise on their part that you go on vacation and go to church. And then the further surprise that you're actually standing there right in their church on your vacation. People just don't expect that who are part of churches. And maybe it's because they don't do it when they go, but there we are, we've done that. And I say all of this stuff because I want to talk about going to church today and the excitement about going to church. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 84. Uh, I want to open that Psalm for you and I want to walk you through it and I want to Step on your toes this morning. So if you're not in the mood to be poked at, kind of do one of these. Put your toes back under your pew, because I'm going to be hunting for them this morning. Now, this psalm is usually misunderstood by a lot of people in church. It, 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 it seems that this particular psalmist is a little bit like me, though he probably could sing, and he wrote beautiful poetry, neither of which I can do. But, but his psalm is misunderstood. When we read it, when we study it, we want to think about heaven. Because we're talking about being with God. We're talking about being in this, this beautiful place. But, but that's not what this psalm is about. This, this psalm is about the temple. Or, or for you and me, it's about the church. 
The psalm is what is referred to in the textbooks as a Zion song. It's a song that would be offered on the way to worship. You all sang this morning on your way into church, didn't you? In your cars, as you were walking out to your car in the parking lot or wherever it was. No? Well, anyway, this is what this psalm is. So mark this in your Bible. You can use this one. You see, the Israelites, they were excited to go to the temple. Well, that is until they forgot about God. But, but they were excited to go to the temple because they, they would sing and they would celebrate. And they would do that on the way there. And the songs would capture them and capture the experiences that they've had and that they anticipated having. And they were just excited about this. Now, the psalm begins, in, in many of your Bibles, if you look there, um, there'll be a heading. And uh, I want to open that heading for you because, well, just because it's kind of fun. And uh, you'll get to see some of the stuff that pastors have to put up with when we're working with the scholars who write about these psalms. But the heading reads, For the director of music, according to Gittith, of the song, Sons of Korah, a song. Now, according to Gittith, now that word could mean an instrument or a melody or a feminine person from Gath or a Levitical singer, or it could even commemorate the relocation of the ark, which we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they moved it from Obed-Edom, the Gittite's home, to Jerusalem. So at the end of the day, when I studied that, what I realized that that word means something, but I don't really know what it means. It could mean any of those half a dozen things. But it's there in our Bible, and I didn't want you to overlook it and not be confused like I am. You with me? Now, the bottom line as we look at this psalm is we're probably looking at a pilgrim song, a song about going to worship. And that the scholars got, and I agree with them. So listen to his, the psalmist, or their, uh, the worshipers, their heart. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Now, you could probably see right there why people get confused or think this is about heaven. Because where does God live? Where else does God live? Yeah. So, I can see how people can get confused, but as we go further down here, it doesn't. But when we read that, we, we immediately, when we start thinking about church, we're thinking, oh, the arches that hold up the building, oh, the appointment of the room, it's, it's set for beauty and comfort, it's set to help us focus on God. And, and, and that's fine, but the text is better rendered, and some of your translations will have it, how beloved. It's not so much an aesthetic statement, yo, nice house, but it's, it's more uh, a sentiment uh, of desire, uh, a statement of desire to be in the temple with God. It's such an amazing thing. So not aesthetics, it's more the, the presence of God in a response to that. Now, as we get to this point, we, we observe an attitude that, that can be alien to our way of thinking. I'm not saying we're wrong in how we think, but how they were thinking is not like how we think. You see, you and I, we can get up any Sunday morning and just jump into our cars and we just head out and we go to church. It's, it's up the road a piece, might be around a couple corners. It, it might even pass by a diner you have to stop at and get breakfast so you don't faint on the way to the church the rest of the way. But 
we can just get there relatively easily. But for the psalmist to go to the temple, um, it was a little more complicated. Uh, it was uh, a significant undertaking for them. It would be like you getting up this morning and saying, let's go to church in Ohio, Kansas. Could you do that right away? No. Because it's not being your study. It's getting your car and drive for hours. And for them, it was walk for hours, maybe days, or ride your donkey for days. There were no cars. There were no trains. And so for them to think about going to the temple, they would have anticipated for a long time. And it's why when we read through the Old Testament, some of you are thinking, wow, that'd be really great. We don't have to go to church four times a year. But it would have involved all of your vacation time to get there those four times. And you would have had to leave your farm, your home, abandoned. You would have packed everything up and gone away. And so, as we think about their attitude, it was radically different than ours. No local congregation. Unless you lived in Jerusalem, where the temple was. So, as we think about this, they really, really wanted to go to the temple. They had to. Otherwise, they weren't going to go. And I'm sure there were people who said, I'm not going to that. But the rest, they did. And as I think about that attitude, that mindset, it makes me pause and think about us. Not just us, but the church. Do we long to be in the place where God is worshipped? I mean, do we ache to be there? Do we look forward to the gathering as church for worship? Do we we look forward to that. We, we lean in. You know, maybe sometime around Tuesday or Wednesday, we start thinking, hey, it's almost time to be in a church again. And is that our reality? If it is, why is that your reality? And if it's not your reality, why is it not your reality? This, this whole scenario, this anticipating, this planning for, this thing on the way, begs the question, why did they go to the temple? Well, why do we go to church? Why? Let's think about that for a moment. Why do we come here? Well, if I'm reading the scriptures correctly, if I'm reading through the Psalms, the book of Revelation, we're hearing from both this morning, the ultimate answer is God. The psalmist spoke of the Lord Almighty. Now, in the different translations, and they all try to capture these Hebrew words, but it could be Yahweh of the armies, Lord of the powers, Lord all-powerful. This is the Lord over all the spiritual realms, over all the physical realms, all of the what other, other realms there are. They're trying to capture in a couple words this God who is the reason they went to the temple, the reason we go to church. Other renderings, of, I don't know if these are the best, but I'll just give them to you in case you've read them. Yahweh, great army. Yahweh, great warrior. And that comes up later in the psalm, the idea that's captured there. But they saw the temple as a reminder of the God who's got them in his hands. He is their protector. So it wasn't so much the place as the one the place represented. To the Israelites, God was the mighty one, the one we celebrated 
at the temple. And they knew, they knew there was a level of safety in his presence. We would be okay if he was present. And then there was this longing that was attached to that sense of knowing we'd be safe. And so they trekked north or south, east or west to get to the temple so that they could worship Almighty God. Now notice in verse 2, My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Now remember, this is poetry. I mean, their flesh wasn't screaming. It's poetry. They're talking about their whole being. Even the sparrow has found a home. Now there's a theological understanding of that. What that, the sparrow, it actually means sparrow. Um, but even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. And that word selah, we have no clue what it means. Now, we all have ideas. Some say it means pause. It's this place where you stop and think about what was just said. Some means break. Um, you know, you can get a cup of coffee or something. Or crescendo. So if the brass were behind me and I got to that point, they would go, woo, and my hair would go like this. Um, but it's something in the flow of the poetry, a shift. Now, these words here, verses 2 through 4, they capture the heart of the worshiper. The heart of the worshiper. The idea of craving, longing for, to exhaust oneself to get there. I will extend myself to be able to lay before the Lord. Desperation. I can't do this thing called life without Him. To be consumed by this desire. I don't know if you've ever longed for something so desperately that you went to great, great lengths to find it. My wife and Cindy, these two ladies over here, um, back in the day, there was this thing called a chip witch. Now, it was an ice cream sandwich. Some of you remember them. It had perfect cookie, and then it was rolled in chocolate chips. Well, they were out shopping one day, um, and they were exhausted from the shopping, and they noticed as they were crossing the street a chip witch wrapper on the ground. And they stopped, and they looked at it, and they looked around, and they were thinking, what direction did the glitter bug come from? And how far would it have taken them to get to the point where they would have dropped the wrapper because they no longer needed it? Because they were desperate for a chip witch. This, this is that idea here. So desperate that you would hold up traffic and ponder a wrapper so that you can get to a place where you could buy your own. But here it's about worship. These feelings drove these pilgrims. They packed, they traveled, they risked. Travel is dangerous. It's like driving on Route 100. And all that just to have a worship experience. Verse 3. Even the birds have a safe place. That's the kind of God we have. The imagery here is that God is their safe place. The psalmist seems to ask, what about me? And he answers and says, yes, I do. In the Lord's house, I am reminded of this safe place that God is. I get lost in this. Thinking that he wanted to live in the temple. Anyone want to live here? I don't want to live here. Some days I'm tired of being here. 
I want to go places, so I come visit you. It wasn't that that he wanted. That's all poetic imagery. But what he was saying is, let me do, let me be where I am reminded of the God who's got my back, my front, my sides, my up, my down. And so I visit his house, the temple. I worship with other pilgrims who want the very same thing. And I am encouraged and I feel safe. Gathering to worship inspired hope and confidence for daily life. And if nothing else, they could look around and say, I'm not alone. All these other people are here for the same thing. They're looking for the same thing. They're enjoying the same thing. I am not alone. Because if you're alone with something like that, everybody looks at you like you're nuts. And every now and then we need to come where there's other nuts like us who just ache to worship God. Now, text verse 4 is kind of wistful. It's this, this heart just bubbling over. Blessed are those who dwell in your heart, house. They are ever praising you. The connection being where God is thought about is connected with praise. You can't have one without the other. They, they go together. When you're here, your heart just bubbles over. And I don't know where the psalmist was when he wrote this, but he was remembering worship. He was remembering the gathering. And he filled up again, just thinking about it. Now, wouldn't it be nice to be and feel close, not just hope you are close to God? There's a difference there. To know you are close, not just hope. And the psalmist is offering the experience in the temple, or for us, the experience of gathering together at church. It reminds us that this is our reality. But at the end of the day, or at the end of the service, most people have to leave the temple. And most people have to leave the church because we're not bringing any pizza for you. We read in verse 5 Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, that is, going to the temple, heading to church, as they pass through the valleys of or weeping. And they would do that on the way and on the way home, unless they went a different route, which most of them would not. And so they would have had this experience in this valley. They make it a place of springs, probably with their tears. Tears of joy on the way in excitement of going to worship, tears of sadness on the way, having left the worship experience. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Now they're anticipating But we're going to keep doing this until he takes us home. The psalmist moves on here to contemplate the idea that it is not all bad not being near the temple or the gathering. You see, the pilgrim, on his way to worship, finds all that he needs in the Lord. The Lord provides strength for the journey. The Lord provisions them for the journey because it was days on the road for some of them. And he provided their food and resources. And sometimes that was provided by families that they crossed paths with as they went. If you think about in a desert land, how are you going to carry your popsicles with you for three days in the desert with no refrigeration? And they would have depended on God's provision on the road. And there were glimpses of God 
along the way. And these glimpses also encouraged them. And then ultimately there was their safe arrival at the temple, and it proved that God had been near. And likewise, for trip, for us, for them, the back and forth to church, back and forth to temple, that's where we connect with God. But notice the shift in verse 8. No longer praising, but he's going to pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord, God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob, Shalom. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Now you have to keep in mind that this psalm was written for pilgrimage. They were going to the temple or returning from the temple, but they were doing it in a land that was under the king's covering. And so there's talk about God, who is the great provider, but there's talk about the king, who was their immediate provider, their protector. And it made sense, because these people, these pilgrims, they would pray for their king. Now, they would pray for God, the mighty one they worshipped, but they would pray for their king, who would be their physical shield and protector, God's anointed one. And this prayer links God with his people. God with Israel, God with the anointed king, and the anointed king with his people. And to look upon in verse 9 was not an expectation that God was just looking down at them, but was that God was looking upon them to be among them, to be part of their travels. He was looking to see what they were up to so that he could intervene at will, at need, and sometimes just for joy. Now, you know me well enough. I've talked up here often enough. You know I stop and smell the roses. I am fascinated with people's little babies. And weird things, like a deer planting alongside the road when they should be way out in the field so they don't get run over. I stop and I am in awe because they remind me of God created. These folks did something similar. On their way, it wasn't just going to worship, but they enjoyed God on the way. They weren't honking in the traffic. They were delighted that there were other people headed in the same way. They were delighted that God fed them on the way. They were delighted that God kept them safe. And we do something similar. We talk to God about our lives. We acknowledge that He is an involved God. That we know God is looking upon us desiring what is best for us, bumping us off the bad path so that we get back closer to what is good for us. And we pray for our pastors, our leaders, here in the church and here in the county and here in the country, knowing that they are appointed and anointed by God to provide our needs. And not all that unlike Israel. We are people. We are chosen people. Chosen by God, we are chosen to worship. Called to follow our leaders. And we get to do this with God who is our daily helper. In the temple, the church is a reminder of this one. It's a capital O-N-E. This one who does all this for us. And then in verse 10, the psalmist reverts back to where he began in verse 1. 
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man or woman or child who trusts in you. We return to verse 1. How beloved is your dwelling place. How good it is to be in your sanctuary. How good it is to be where you are remembered. One day here is better than a thousand anywhere else. Even opening and closing doors at the temple for these folks was better than not being there. Just being closer to the reminder of the one thrilled them. Why? Well, here, together, it feels safer. It feels bigger. It feels stronger. Which is why I think the scriptures are replete with invitations, commands even, to gather to worship. It's not that you can't worship alone, but there's something you can't do alone in worship. You can't be encouraged and lifted up by the praises and prayer and worship those around you. And you can't do the same for them. And then there's the reality that wickedness increases as we walk away from the temple. Wickedness increases as we walk away from the church. Because here in this moment, we're reminded of our sin. We confess our sin. We're surrounded by people who are doing the same. And as we walk away, we get further from that. And it doesn't take us long to become what we were before we came. The Lord as the Son. He helps us see right from wrong as a shield or a high wall. He stands as a protector around us. And that seems more real when there's a whole bunch of us as opposed to being alone. And I don't know how I would do if I could only worship four times a year and be missing you and what you bring to the gathering the rest of the year. The bottom line is, blessed is the man who trusts God. And it is his trust that opens the way for God's blessings to come and to flood our lives. Now, as we come to the end of this pilgrim song, a song that was sung on the way to worship, imagine you singing on your way to church, eagerly making your way through the neighborhood, across the highway, over the overpass, under the underpass, and down uh, Swinehart and into the parking lot and going, where will I park today? Imagine doing all of that and you're singing. Maybe you're playing Christian music. Is that your reality? Is that what you're experiencing? Or you're fighting with the kids in the back seat? Five hours back there. Five hours back there. Or finishing the argument that you had before you went to bed last night with your spouse. Do we treasure our moments at church? Or is our experience something other? The people of Israel made great sacrifices to gather for worship. Why? God. Lord, great warrior. Lord, great army. Lord Almighty. They gathered for God. They gathered before God. They gathered because of God. They didn't gather for the worship service. They gathered for God and worship broke out. 
I do that? We come for the worship. And I believe that a whole bunch of us miss God because we came to get something rather than to be here for Him. Thomas tells us that most of them were called back home, back to their normal daily lives. But the deeper they got enmeshed in the worship experience, more of it stuck on them, and the longer it would have hung out around them in aroma of worship as they lived their daily lives. And how many of us, as we leave the steps of the building, the edge of the parking lot, were what we were before we got here? Because we came to get, and maybe we didn't get what we came to get. Going to worship is nice. Being together is encouraging, but God is the bigger part of a true worship experience. The psalmist gives us reason to stop and ask. Each of us needs to ask this question. Each of us needs to answer this question. And it does us a disservice if we're not honest with ourselves. But how do I feel about the concept of church? How do I feel about my church? Why do I feel this way? about the idea of church, or why do I feel what I feel about my church? This is important, this next week. I'm going to say it twice. Our reality will be determined by selfishness, church is for and about me, or selflessness, church is for and about God. Church seldom satisfies if our concern is that it meets my needs. Church becomes meaningful, however, when God is the focus, when God is encountered. Let me say that again. I could have just given you this and I could skip the rest. This is really important. I gave you the rest of the captive audience. Our reality will be determined by selfishness. Church is for and about me. Or selflessness. Church is for and about God. Church seldom satisfies if our concern is that it meets my or our needs. Church becomes meaningful, however, when God is the focus, when we encounter God. Now, as we go our separate ways today, let's think about why we gather in this place. Is it because God is God and He calls us to worship? Is it because here reminds us that He is close and that He is also close to us as we do daily life? Is it because together is encouraging, uplifting as we share our God stories of what happened since the last time we're together? Is it because to not gather is sin, disobeying His call to come and worship? As we go our separate ways today, let us each keep in mind that we are called to return to do this again and again until He calls us home to be with Him. Why? Why church? What? Why worship? Why are you here on Sunday? 